Happy Pride! Yay! <laughs> Yay! It's still Pride Month, and today we are talking to two mamas, and we're also having a really important conversation that we've been wanting to have for since we began the podcast, but it's time to talk about race. Mama! Welcome, parents, to Raising Amazing. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh, board-certified pediatrician specializing in integrative medicine. And I'm Serena Vincent. I'm an actor, writer, and new mother. Join us in learning and laughing as we navigate through the messy path of parenthood. And together, let's begin Raising Amazing. (laughs) So, yes, last week's interview was so much fun talking to Carmine and Ryan. I feel like just hearing from two dads really meant a lot. To it was, a lot of people. I think so. I mean, it was a lot of fun to chat with them, and, and I learned a lot, and, and I thought that just their energy was so wonderful and bubbly, and it was just, it was, it was a good time. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. They were super honest, and it was super sweet, and we're continuing the conversation um, this Pride Month, and want to talk to more same-sex couples, and we have a really special interview today with mothers um, Alicia Champion and Danielle Lopresti who have a 10 year old son mm-hmm. who is black and we also get into the topic of race and there's so much so many devastating things now and for the last 10 years just one after another happening uh, in our world and we really go there and they talk to us about how to talk to our kids about race i think it's such an important topic because you know while i think there's been a lot more uh you know emphasis in media around race the the last year few years but it's just certainly been an issue for a very long time if not you know forever really there's always issues uh you know of the other of somebody else of different races different religions and and i you know i the hope for me and I know the hope with this with podcast and, and really with society moving forward is that we, we come together and we start to uh, lift the veil on some of these you know other things and make them more normal because they really are normal and, and we really should be embracing everybody and embracing love and, and families whatever you know, makeup they are whatever race they may be if it's one race or multiple races and, and you know the more that we talk about it the more that that can be helpful but but like we said in, in multiple interviews, you know, a lot of people aren't exposed to a lot of the things that we're talking about. They might not live in a community where there are different races. They might not live in a community where they they have uh, same-sex couples, or yeah. or you know, they maybe we you know we you didn't grow up with it, and, and maybe it is in your community now, but you really don't have any idea how to talk to your kids about it because it's not something that you had your parents talk to you about. Uh, so I think it is really important to have these conversations and talk to those that are going through this and what what they did or they found helpful because i think that's going to be helpful for other people just to hear their stories and to hear um their their tips and tools and and really just what they have gone through i think that really helps parents to know how to speak to their own kids about this i completely agree we have a huge problem with systemic racism in our country and we can learn from each other and i really really learned from this interview i'm already i bought all the books that they suggested um let's get right into it i think you guys are really gonna like this we are so honored today to have two beautiful talented extraordinary mothers with us we have danielle lopresti and alicia champion They are professional musicians, producers, performance coaches, and owners of Durga Sound Studio in Oakland, California. They are both passionate about adoption advocates and proud mothers of Lucian, who is nine years old. Danielle has also been leading anti-racist trainings for white folks since 2019. She writes about her experience as a white mom raising a black son on Medium and is dedicated to the work of anti-racism. Thank you so much, Alicia and Danielle, for being with us. We're so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having us. Honored to be here. I have had the privilege of knowing you personally. You are incredibly talented musicians and artists and performers, and you also ran a film festival in in San Diego, Um, and that is how we got introduced, right? Because you you picked up um, some really 
irreverent um, short films that I produced. <laughs> Alicia, you want to speak to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, we were at San Diego Indie Fest. That's how we got um, connected to Serena. Indie Fest was a uh, music film business festival for anything independent outside of the mainstream and um this was uh 2014 mm-hmm. was it 2014 um um serena and and annika marx had produced uh the series around the horrible drought the california in- drought yeah and um it stay was called filthy. stay filthy cali yeah so good yeah. so good so good so we so it's pride month and we we want to have all families all the time at Raising Amazing, but we really wanted to do something specific and feature two moms and two dads and and the whole spectrum um, for this month because I think it's really important for everyone to hear that we're all just parents, all just trying to do our best. And so thank you, ladies, for saying yes to coming on our show. So you guys are a same-sex multiracial adoptive family. So I wanted to start by asking, what are some of the things that these identities uh, have brought to you and brought to your parenting um, that might be different than you know some other uh, families? Yeah, thank you for shining a light on it too, because I think um, the path that, that queer uh, couples take to parenthood um, is, is very different. Um, not that there are not also um, scores of cis heterosexual adoptive parents as well but um you know for for queer families it's not as simple as just making love and creating something out of that you know um um, there are so many different paths and i think also gender roles um not that all cis couples just fall into those stereotypes either um i we find that um with a lot of queer families especially in ours you know these roles are uh, divided up um, not so much on our gender history or stereotypes, but uh, um, they're divided up really um, along the lines of our skill sets, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we found that there's tremendous balance in that, you know, which is really beautiful. Um, just j- j- just some things. It's, you know, it's it's been such a wonderful journey that um, we both have been just so grateful to be a part of. And, and you mentioned some some challenges, so maybe we could get into that a little bit. First, what were some of the challenges that you faced during the adoption process? Alicia, do you want to? Okay. Yeah, I just spoke. Yeah, you go. <laughs> I would say uh, one of the things that that holding all these identities um, has done for for us, for me, for sure, and I think probably for Alicia too, is that um, the underpinning uh, is gratitude. Um, it was so so hard to become parents. Uh, It took us seven years of failed tries. Uh, We were told that we may never be seen fit to be parents. Um, We had to work so hard to advocate for ourselves, to fight for the most everyday common thing. Like Alicia says, you know, there's plenty of straight couples that don't have the blessing of, you know, just loving one another and then boom, making life. There are of straight couples that have to deal with infertility and so forth. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's not even an option. Um, If we decide to go the route of adoption, we have to convince people to put their faith in us. And and that was really challenging. Um, So so gratitude and the awareness of what an awesome responsibility it is is an an offshoot of that. Also for, for seven years, we took trainings. We trained to become parents by the end, like Alicia and I were joking that we could teach the workshops, but I have to say, even though that I'd taken three, four or five times, I still got more out of it. So by the time our baby came, we just had so many resources and I'm really grateful for that. I guess we just, we just don't take parenting for granted it's um even in the hardest times and we do we feel exasperated and frustrated and heartbroken sometimes but i i I don't think we ever forget how lucky we are to have our child and to have this gift of being his parents wow that's that's incredible you know i wanted to also ask you i mean i just there's so much 
just one devastating moment after another lately with black men, children in this country and, and women and little girls. Um, how has raising a black son in the current climate of our country shaped your work, your, your, your worldview, and what do you want white parents to know? Alicia, do you want to go first on this? Oh, no, I think as the white mother here, you are, you are the one okay. to okay. answer this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so racism became my cause, my, my first thing, you know, as a young child, like really young, like between eight and ten. Um, I had a really young mom, and uh, she just decided that we could watch Roots together. And I'm so grateful that she didn't shelter me from it. It was horrifying and it marked my life forever. And I'm, I'm so grateful to that moment because it really set me on a course that I've never um, And so working, doing anti-racist things, um, that's how we would refer to it now, um, just became a function of who I was in the world. And I, I dovetailed that work in that activism into my music, into my advocacy, into our events. Um, and, and Alicia did as well when, once we started doing events together. But until I became Lucian's mother, um, you know, have you heard that thing that when you become a parent, you take your heart out of your own body and you put it into the body mm -hmm. and then your heart's running around and then you watch being. it walk around. Yeah. You watch it walk around and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so when you get to do that as a white person, the body that is holding your heart is a black body. There are just new eyes, new ears, a new nervous system. I had no idea how much I didn't know. I had no idea of the daily anxiety that accompanies having black children. Um, I, I see racism and I feel racism in a profoundly deeper way even than before. And, and I felt it a lot before my thing um, yeah. that I was working on. Um, but long story short, what I'm coming to more than that well-meaning, educated, not white liberals have more power to change this. And when we remain silent, we are, doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Racism will stay this bad until white folks do something about it. And that's what I've realized very concretely. And to add on that more specifically, it's about white parents raising, not just um, allies, but accomplices, raising their white children or non-BIPOC children. And even, even like, I mean, there, there, there's a whole spectrum, you know? I mean, I think in this country, you know, um, African-Americans are, facing their a very unique problem on their own but um but raising our children to be better than allies to be accomplices to and to know from a very um to see color you know uh, being being colorblind is not as progressive as it sounds you know you um you can't treat everyone the same way whenever when different kids of different colors you know live with different circumstances every mm -hmm. day you have to see that color and you have to act you know knowing that that color comes with its own set of circumstances and um that's a lot of the work that you know danielle does now in our parent community is you know trying to coach these other white parents on how to raise the best kinds of friends for our son and you know those rules change as the kids get older you know um but it's important work and it's something that needs to be done right away. You know, um, there's no there's no age to have the race talk. Um, it just evolves as the kids grow. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some first steps? I and mean, there are some people that might be listening to this that 
you know, maybe they've wanted to, to talk to their kids a little bit more. Maybe they're older, maybe they're younger. I don't know if they're, if you have different specific strategies for younger versus older kids. I'm sure obviously you talk to them in a little bit different way. Um, but you, you know, you're on the ground floor working with families on this. So what, what would be some of the tips that you would have or strategies that you would give to the parents in your working groups as to where to get started with this? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say that I, I would love to give you a bunch of resources for this episode. So I'll give you a, a bunch of resources to Great. use and share. Um, but I would say start as, as early as possible and never stop so that you don't have a talk about racism and race, but you have race talk. It's just something you do all the time. There's an author, Jamar Tisby, who's wonderful. And he says, start with a crayon, a pack of crayons. And, and ask your, your child, how sad would the world be if all the crayons were the same color? Like how, how sad would that world be, right? And then, and then talk about the beauty of color and, and the beauty of people. Like how beautiful is a room with all different kinds of people in it? Um, and, then, and then there's all kinds of, I pulled some books here because I thought we might get into this. Um, you know, so this is something I think is a really is a really salient point. So, you know, it's nothing for black families to have books like this on their shelves, right? But why don't white families have books like these on their shelves? So you these are art only because the podcast tells us. Right. So are what I'm way. what I'm showing you is is books where the protagonist is a black child. You don't have to have black children. To have books on your bookshelf where the protagonist is a black child. Like if you want to talk about difference, you can get something like I'm your peanut butter big brother and talk about the differences of color and so forth or the differences between siblings. But instead of white kids, it's kids of different different shades of color, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's this beautiful book, This Is How We Do It that talks about families all over the world and the different foods they eat, the different customs they have. Lucian mm. still loves this book. Um, then there's this book that is Falling Apart, the great big book of families. And it goes through and talks about so many differences, difference in race, difference in, you know, some people live in mansions, in huts. Some people have no, some families have no place to live. Some families have two parents, some families have one, some families have four, some families, the kids have two houses they live in. We started reading this book to Lucian before he could talk. And so what is in your, what art, what, what shows do you watch? What kind of books are in your house? What colors of people do you have and have meals with you? Do you go for walks with? Do you go for play dates with? You know, how isolated is your world? If you look around and everyone is pretty much the same color than you, except for one or two people, then there's an opportunity for you to really do some great work. Yeah. And you just keep at it. Um, also, there's like what Alicia was just saying about the colorblind thing. Maya Angelou has a beautiful quote and it, it go it, a poem and, and inside the poem, she's got this, this line that says, first acknowledge that I'm a black woman and then I'm a black woman. What I see when I think about that is it, it really speaks to what Alicia was raising about colorblindness. We need to see, and we want to see the beauty in one another's differences. And then we want to treat our friends. Mm -hmm. However, there are unique circumstances that different children have, whether, you know, they're in a wheelchair or whether they have lots of allergies or whether they're a different color or what have you, or they have divorced parents or whatever the circumstances are. But for our child, you know, I, I just thought about this the other day. The, the most cruel and damaging things that have been said or done to Lucian have come from his best friends, his close friends white kids or white passing kids. And that's because I think white parents often will think, well, we love everybody. We see the beauty in everybody. Like we're not racist, but if you don't take this on, 
and empower your kids with teaching about difference and race and age appropriate ways, there's gonna come just comments and statements out as kids explore that could be deeply damaging. Yeah. Right? You know, shameless plug here for myself. <laughs> um, my own book. The day that George Floyd was murdered, I, Nico was 14 months old and in his high chair and I was sobbing like the rest of the world. And I was like, all right, well, I got to start right now. And I turned off the news and I said a little poem. He's obsessed with belly buttons. And I said a little poem to him. Everybody has a belly button. Everybody, I was teaching him about skin color, the way we teach them, you know, when you teach a baby where their nose and eyes and belly button and, you know, it was pointing to everything. And then we were talking about skin and I went through the rainbow of skin colors and I made it rhyme and he loved it. And I put him down for a nap and I wrote it out and it's going to, it's published and, or it'll be out. Um, it's called everybody has a belly button and it's a, it'll be out at the beginning of, uh, 2022 and it's it's starting the conversation for babies and toddlers specifically about skin color and it's and it's all I found a beautiful black artist uh who's just extraordinary and bringing it to life in this really incredible way and pictures of two moms and two dads and people in wheelchairs and just all the colors and all the people because you're you're right we you know I grew up with parents that were like but you know we're not, we're not racist, but we never, I, we never had a really a race conversation. Mm-hmm. Not really. Not we, like We didn't this. either. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. I mean, I grew up in Toronto, so it was just, it's very multicultural, but it wasn't something that we really, or I ever thought of at least, and it certainly wasn't a conversation that we had. But I think something also, um, when you look back and just something to ask yourselves is looking back at your childhood, your upbringing, who was around? Who was at your dinner table regularly? Were you, you know, consistently immersed in with others and communities of, of color? And um, because I think when we dig deep, when I ask this of my closer white friends, a lot of them, no, no, we didn't. You know, yeah, there was so-and-so and so-and-so and every now and again. And I think um, one thing to do when raising our children now is going that extra mile to make sure that your immediate circle, your immediate community has active participants of different races, you know, many different uncles and aunties and, you know, uh, friends and making sure, I mean, obviously it's hard with COVID and all the distancing, but when we can get back to some sense of normalcy, regular dinner parties, date, play dates, and um, so that they see this, just like, like Danielle was and saying, teachers. that Teachers, yes. I, yes my mom's going to kill me if she when she listens to this because she's going to be like, what do you mean I didn't have a race conversation? I can hear her saying that. Because like, <laughs> she, there was, you know, there was like three second grade teachers in our elementary school and she very much wanted me with, the, there was a black woman and she wanted me with her for that reason because we need Good. to learn from, mm-hmm. from everyone. And I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Seeking out those people and making yeah. the effort that they are yeah. active in your... If I can give one little example of how serious this can be, um, there's an article I'm going to share with you that I use in my workshops. It's called To the White Parents of My Black Son's Friends, and it's written by a white adoptive mom. And um, goes through a list of things that she wants white parents to know and understand, and she's agonizing, and it's just so well-written. But I'm just going to talk about one little point. She says, teach your white children that when they're with my black son, this is not the time to try out any risky behaviors. If the police come, you know, you're at the park with my son and the police come driving by and stop right, right where you are, don't think it's exciting and funny and fun and just take off running. If my son runs with you, oh, happen. Just stay right there with my son. Hold still. Stay still. Be present. No, understand. He does not walk through the world the way you do. I I could go on and on with these. As Alicia knows, you know, when, when we get together and we have these trainings, but um, it can be the, the for a child of color and, and the power to change this is, is in the hands of, 
of white and white passing people. We have to, just like gay folks could not get the, could not get as far as we have so as we have so far the dramatic change without straight allies and as Alicia says accomplices it's the same here i think in in any in any movement in any civil rights fight um it's always the the disenfranchised that start the revolution right mm-hmm. side of being abused mm-hmm. but it's the it's the white people with the power and the influence and the position who have to carry it over the finish line, even if it's women's right to vote, right? I mean, a bunch of white women started it, but it was a bunch of white men who were in power at the time who had to sign that into law. And so, um, but, you know, I'm hopeful as it, it, it sure appears that there's, you know, a great white awakening after last year, you know, we. Danielle launched her first workshop at the end of 2019. Well, Still, I want to I want to talk to you about that. Can people? Um, well, first of all, it's called "Dear White Parents, Let's Talk About Racism." So I want to know how you came to that title, and then I, I was, also is it know. online training or is it person training? Like, right. Can anybody from anywhere? Well, now um, it's online since COVID. Mm-hmm. It's online, yeah. So, but anybody can anywhere can find this. So. White parents, if you're listening and you don't know how to have the conversation with race, they can find this and you can you can guide them. But tell us about tell us about how you came to the title. Okay, sure. Um, so we uh, are being we are in the world um, and just noticing what we're noticing and and um, also you know constantly saying. You know, Alicia grew up with a ton of racism that she had to experience as a little girl growing up in Singapore. And and we we moved from Southern California to be in the birthplace of Black Lives Matter um, specifically because we wanted a better place to raise our son. Um, And so, you know, we're noticing, we're feeling, we're 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 seeing where the microaggressions are happening. Um, and I'm realizing how much damage is happening. He's at a school where social justice, like the religion, I mean, it really is a progressive school. I mean, that's, that's a big reason why we chose. And, and I just, I think that, well, people will say things to me that they won't necessarily say to Alicia, right? Folks, because they feel more at ease and, you know, you know, I'm not racist right type of thing right and i am blown away at the things that are being said and there's just this where i just thought you know what let's let's create a training and i reached out to a dad at lucian school a black dad and i asked him if he would be willing to kind of work with me on this and and he said yeah you write it and i'll check it and I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And I just, I just started, I just started and really empowered me. He said, go ahead, white person, go ahead, do your research. I'll check in. And we did it. And we, Alicia helped us promote, promote it at the school. We, our goal was to pack, pack the meeting space at the, at the school. And we pretty much did. And it was really profound when we got to the we wanted to talk to white parents um and we wanted to ask the question about race and racism with your little children you know and you know when we get to that specific question in the workshop most folks will will say well we talk about race when it comes up when we're asked you know like like when we're asked about sex we talk about sex right and most people will say too late mm-hmm. start talking about it before right mm-hmm. and and so you know we take a quote from jamar tisby who says um you really can't talk about it too much you talk about it early and you talk about it constantly you help shape the worldview of your children why should white be the default right and and to illustrate this like just last night lucian and i were watching a cooking video to make a new recipe and he goes, Mama, the hands are black because it's so rare 
It's so rare. It's always the white hands that are that you see in the tasty videos that are doing. But this time, they were they belonged to a black person, and that was so exciting to him. It, there's Can I ask so a question many, that we have from? Yes, it's really it's very related to this. I think it's a good good time to ask the mom who Sally. She wanted to know what does uh, your son think about your advocacy? Does he ever talk about the? The, the training that you do does he ever does he ever mention you know that he's like oh this is so cool that you guys are are, are involved in this or does it is something that seems like it bothers him go ahead alicia i don't know if your answer is the same as mine well it's <laughs> it's it's been it's been a hard year okay and um it's been it's been a very difficult year right um mm -hmm. not just covid the whole country went through this reckoning that was impossible to escape. You couldn't shelter him. And, um, you know, one thing that happened, um, which was really beautiful when we all went into lockdown was he and I started running every day together, right? Our gyms are closed, everything's closed. So we just started running and um, he found a lot, it was, it was hard at first, but then he started to find a lot of joy in it. And literally maybe three weeks after that, um, the case of Ahmad Arbery, you know, who was hunted and killed running, jogging in his own neighborhood, um, came out and there's no way to escape it. You know, our son, I mean, you blink and a decade has gone by. He turns 10 in two months. And like, where did our baby go? He's, you know, he and I share clothes now. I can wear his clothes. I borrow his sweatshirts. I, he's up to my shoulder. You know, uh, by the end of the year, he might even be close to my height. There's no way to we have to have these very real conversations with him now, right? He knows the, 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 the little monologue when he sees a police officer, he knows to make his hands visible and say, my name is Lucian Lopresti Champion. I'm nine years old. I've got nothing that can harm you. Like he's memorized that. And you know, yeah, these are things that, you know, I don't know that you would ever teach that to Nico, that he won't need that. Right. Um, and so we've always been an activist family. It's been taken up a notch now that, you know, Danielle is doing these workshops very regularly across state lines. She's done several in Oregon. And um, there's already so much anxiety. I don't know if this, if this expands it. If we're figuring this out too. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he thinks it's very cool. I think it's just all very anxious, anxiety inducing, you know? Well, Dr. Um, Gator can speak to anxiety in kids. <laughs> Yeah, I mean everybody is anxious. It's been the worst year ever. I've never, I've never seen so much depression, anxiety, you know, in general. And there's just so many things that have compounded. And not, not just the pandemic. The pandemic is more than enough to give everybody anxiety. But there's so many other things going on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I just, and then it's been one thing after another. I mean, it's been one thing after another since he was born. Right? He was born in 2011, and I think Trayvon Martin was killed in in 2012, and then it was like an avalanche, right? Then those Mike Brown, it was just, it was, it was so many. Um, but now he's hearing it now. He, he, he knows about Breonna Taylor. He knows about George Floyd. He knows about, uh, Aiden Ellison, who was killed just down the street in Ashland, Oregon, from where his, his auntie lives. I mean, he knows it's a lot for, for kids, especially now who are, they're still tiny. They're still little kids, but they present, especially black kids. They present as much older than they actually are, or at least they're perceived that way by this very fearful community that human community that we live in. And it's just, how do you reckon that as, as, as a parent, you know, with, with, with your child who still very much wants and needs his childhood? I don't know that we have the answers. We're trying to figure it out. Danielle. I, I feel like Alicia just said, just, she just really painted the, the painted the scene of, of, the most precious person in your life, this innocent, perfect, beautiful child, understanding that his kind is treated differently than everybody else, and that he is in danger, even as a child. It is one of the cruelest, most horrifying daily feelings. I, I It's so hard. It's so hard to how serious and intense it is and yet we ride the line of protecting his joy and protecting his childhood 
while also trying to protect him by empowering him with every tool we can give him. And we're, we're always trying to ride that line, you know, between those things. So part of me feels like he could care less. But then the other, like when we have discussions and when he'll say, you know, he'll say, he said last week when, when I, because there was, um, there was a lot of talk around um, uh, everything that was happening with George Floyd and, and the trial and so on and so forth. And, and he said, you know, I don't know very much because you don't tell me. And I said, okay, um, that's fair. We haven't talked to you a lot about George Floyd. Would you like to know? And he got real quiet and he goes, no. Okay, I get that. I said, if you change your mind, will you let us know? And he goes, yeah. And, and then later on that night, we circled back and, um, and he goes, and, and he said, he was killed by a police, right? And I said, yes, yes. And, and he said, um, you know, he, he, he talked very little. And I said, you know, this, it's wrong awful and we're working really hard to change that we're working as a family really hard to change that you know and change happens okay and he and he likes that he likes things being done and you know we say and a lot of people are working to change this right and so you know i just really i just have a fire under my ass on this issue. I just want, I want white people who feel pain around racism to like really understand that they have true power. It's just so, it's so interesting how terrified we are of being checked, of being say, of someone saying that we're, you know, we're maybe we did it or we think, or, or what do you have white savior complex or whatever? You know what? We're going to, we're going to mess up all over the place. Just start somewhere, get a book and start somewhere. And you know what? Be willing to be checked. Say, okay, thank you. Understand every black person is different. Just like every woman and every gay person and every person of color is different. Be willing to be checked. Make a note. Keep going. Teach your kids along with you. I say that all the time. Um, be willing if we're willing to be wrong. Yes. We can't grow and change unless we're, 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 you know, we try. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, this was beautiful and so inspiring. And I, I just want to circle back to the adoption real quick because, and we're running long here now, but this is really interesting and probably really interesting for Dr. Gator to know. And I don't know if it'll fit in, but you not only had a, you went through an extraordinary difficult time seven years to to get you know to, to adopt Lucian but then you did something unbelievable and I remember this when I first met you you can you do you want to talk about the fact that you as a an adoptive mother breastfed Lucian oh I, I was think like, it's where are we going with this? I have no idea. What did we do that was remarkable? Like you not only went through this this really challenging time having to prove yourself as fit parents because you're a same sex couple, which is insane, right? <laughs> but you did it and it took you seven years to get your baby. And then you you did the thing that is so hard to do for any mothers. It, it, tell us about your journey breastfeeding. Miracles happen from the most unlikely places sometimes. And our guitar player in our band, um, who is just like this cocky dude, dude, and, you know, not touchy-feely at all, just like dry, walks in and goes, you know, once, you know, we were matched, he, he goes, so you're going to breastfeed? And yeah, oh my God, like, I can't breastfeed. How callous, we're adopting this child. <laughs> So I'm like, weird, why are you talking about breastfeeding? Like, he's not a dad. He's like, this is like, he's a bro kind of straight guy. I love it. We, Alicia and I were like, what in the world? He goes, adoptive mothers can breastfeed. 
Where is this coming from? It was, it blew our minds. And I was like, okay, well, I'll look it up. And I just thought that's ridiculous. But I looked it up and he was right. By the way, we love Uncle Damien. He's like, he's everything. He's beautiful. But anyway, I looked it up and he was right. And so I thought, I'm going to try this. And Dr. Gannon is nodding, tr- nodding his head, but nobody can see you. But you knew oh, this, yeah. Dr. Gannon. I didn't know this either. So, so you definitely, I mean, you definitely can. It's not easy. Most people cannot. It's not necessarily going to happen. But you can certainly try. Even if you're just around somebody with a child, you could, the hormones can change in your body to the point where you actually can. So it's for sure possible. Yeah, it's great. The human body is amazing. It really, truly is where you could you could go to that uh, level and actually do that. But to be fair, most people cannot. It, it took a lot of work. It, it yeah. took a lot of work. Um, Daniel, you want to continue? So uh, I borrowed a pumping machine and I started pumping. I mean, I would be on a gig and I'd and I would pump for 15 minutes and then run back on the bandstand. And, and I just did this religiously in the came and the very first time it was one drop of milk one tiny teeny little and i was like i can do it and so i just kept you kept you know trying and trying and sure enough it worked and you know what it was so about is you know you learn so much from other mothers and my sister was really an amazing mom and she was she took the awareness of skin to skin to a whole new level. And she just said, I, I don't care how much you can do. This is going to be so incredibly important. And you learn a lot in the adoption classes about what a traumatic event adoption is. Obviously, you know, we know what a beautiful event it is. Hold both things, you know, that Lucian's birth mother, who we're very close to, by the way, um, you know, made this choice and, and we were the beneficiaries of that choice, but we had to hold juxtaposition and we had to nurture Lucian in, in, with every single bit of it that we had. And this was just one of the ways. And then we, there were other mothers who donated breast milk and, and we, we made it work. And, and it was, it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until I was diagnosed with cancer that and that was that was really traumatic because I couldn't wean him. It was literally one day breastfeeding, one day not. But it was over a year. How long was it, Alicia, that I was able to breastfeed? Uh, he was 18 months. He was 18 months, to say the least. I'm really grateful to Uncle Damien. We could do a whole other p- podcast on your battle with cancer. There's so much to talk about here. Um, but you are a cancer survivor as well. Mm-hmm. We're so grateful nice. family. We're a really grateful family. <laughs> to say the least. Well, we're, I'm still breastfeeding Nico, by the way. Yay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the bond and the, and, and how, like if I were to just rip it away from him right now, he would be devastated. So to have to stop in a day, especially when they're that aware, 18 mm-hmm. months and, you know, oh, two years old. That's was awful. That's awful. And we replaced it with booby cuddle. Oh, so that's something that we can share with you because it did work. I mean, for us, he couldn't because there was chemo going into you know, and it was very very fast. So he couldn't. My body was toxic. Became toxic. Um, so booby cuddle was the next best thing. And so he just got booby cuddle, and you know, booby cuddle was uh, the answer. Lasted oh. many years. Lasted a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 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 You guys are yeah. extraordinary. Likewise. You are. Thank you for doing this. Yes. Thank you for Thank having you this so con- much. Yeah. Having these conversations, these necessary, yeah. you know, not always easy conversations. Um, yeah. It's, it's important. Thank you for ha- holding the space. There's so much drama in the world, so much sadness, pain, but we want to leave people feeling uplifted. So what was the most amazing thing that you have experienced in the last year? I think about this, this past year, I, I, I think it, Daniel says we, we, are, we run on gratitude and to just to, to shelter with people that you are actually safe with when so many people have had to shelter with, you know, in unsafe environments, you know, to shelter with people that you love, mm-hmm. to be so tested. Um, you know, D- Danielle and I, this, uh, this month it would be, we celebrate our 17th year together. 
um, to be to be together <laughs> this long, to go through you know the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, and to still to still maintain that love and um, I, I, there's gratitude in that, you know, um, in, in this very hard year. Um, you know, our kid turns 10. That's awesome. <laughs> we, we kept him alive for 10 years. Thank God. <laughs> That's a win, right? That's a win, you know? Those are both amazing yeah. things. 17 years. <laughs> amazing. But yeah, I, I don't know, Danielle, if, if you have a different answer. I mean, my answer is a lot of what we were I'm like, as Lucian has got, has become older, like when, when Trayvon Martin was killed, right. When we were new parents of a black child, a black son, I just, I just can't explain how it felt the whole of how it came to be. And that George Zimmerman wasn't even put in jail or left that he didn't, that he got off. Um, and so there's been this this drumbeat inside of me to do something like more concrete than than what we've done before you know the the music and the and the events were were powerful for us for sure but something more concrete and um there was just this, this one day that i just i just felt this feeling either you did you figure it out or you to survive this this feeling of raising this black child and feeling so to make his world better so for me through into doing these trainings for white folks with white folks with because i'm on my ongoing journey as well um an enormous breakthrough for me it's been an enormous breakthrough for me so i would say that and also having having people be receptive, like Alicia helped me uh, with, you know, the technology of doing this face event after George Floyd was murdered. And when she pointed to the number of people that logged on and it was this all, all white community that asked for a condensed version of the workshop, we were blown. And so for us that seeing white folks be more willing to do the work, has been really pretty and and maybe just little drops of hope that things will get better um so i that's what would be mine amazing it is where can people find where can people find you if they want to learn more or want to learn more about the the training um what we've been doing for the trainings is so if if Serena were to reach out and say I I can get fifty people together I want to do it then great let's set a date and we do it like or you know what have you a community a club a group that's how I've been doing it um, and so folks just email me or they go to daniellopresti.com or they can re reach out to Alicia or on social or any other way. Um, yeah, that's so, how it's been. Yeah, so Danielle everyone, AliciaChampion.com. Um, and you can also follow Danielle on Medium, um, medium.com forward slash at Danielle Lopresti. And we will have all that on our Instagram as well. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Alicia, do you want to talk you. about your film a little bit? Oh, oh gosh, no. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No, nothing like. No, we're 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 in pause until, you know, yeah. It's it. it there'll there'll be excitement to report later, but yeah. Riot girl, on Just riot girl, yeah. Just riot like, girl, riot riot girl. Real, real quick, we'll we'll go back and Alicia, um, tell us about the film you're producing. I've been working on this uh, biopic on um, an anarchist from the turn of the century named Emma Goldman. Uh, it's called Riot Girl. Um, and it's exciting. We've been working on it for several years now. We actually have our financing promised. We have uh, IP representation, even a distribution deal, all the things locked up, mm -hmm. except the actual cash and a schedule because no one knows when we can actually roll tape as an independent production because becoming COVID compliant is just not feasible for something of this size that's independently funded. But once we are in herd immunity and more things can open up and production can open up uh, on a wider scale. Um, we're very excited. Um, 
but that's that's where we are but yeah not, not, nothing concrete yet <laughs> incredible work ladies incredible mothers thank you for being here thank you for having us thank you yeah. so much we really appreciated it thank you thank you both thank so you. much so that was incredible they're amazing mm -hmm. I definitely just yeah i i wanted to just say right now to all of our listeners that I am going to schedule a training with Danielle and I would like all of you to join me. So if you're interested in joining, please email us uh, at our raising amazing podcast at gmail.com because let's put a group of people together and let's learn from each other. Let's take her training and figure out the best way to, to speak to our kids about what's going on in our world. And raise kids that love everybody i, I love that say that immediately <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool and yeah. everything everything they said was just you know it's so interesting and, and so many amazing things it's hard to even remember what the best best tips were but i think even just the fact that that they they breastfed an adopted child how amazing is that how difficult is that to do you know, it's hard enough i would say for a mom who has their you know, her own baby uh, the normal vaginal you know delivery to have then a breastfeeding you know that's mm -hmm. really really hard as it is and then to do that mm -hmm. from an adoption i can't even imagine the the struggle the the changes that have to go through in your body yeah, i mean there, there are changes that go through your body you know naturally from having a pregnancy and yes you can do it but i'm sure it's about ten thousand times harder so you know it's just amazing and she did it and then i mean this is again we said it in the interview but it is a whole other podcast the fact that she found out she had cancer you know, while when her son was 18 months old, and uh, she went through chemotherapy and radiation and the whole thing, and um, and now she is a cancer survivor. Um, they're incredible women, and I'm so grateful that they said yes to you know come on the show and and share their story. Um, I also think that uh, you know when you think about it, took them seven years to get their baby. We, everybody should go through trainings. Everybody should take these classes before we're parents, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, it, it's just unbelievable. And I hope that that shifts. There's a lot of people out there struggling with fertility and can't become parents. Um, but uh, the people that, you know, are getting denied children when there are so many children that need to be adopted because they're a same-sex couple and they need to take seven years to prove themselves is devastating. Yeah, I and mean, this was a certainly a heavier, uh, heavier podcast episode. Lots of important issues and topics, but yes. I hope everybody learned something, and I hope that just by talking about some of these things, that it's going to bring a little bit more awareness, and, and you know maybe start your own discussion at home or with your friends or your family. And the more that we do that, the more that this is going to become normal, and the more that we're going to be spreading love and not not division and, and hatred. So. That's my message for the day. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yes, let's all come together so we can keep raising the bar on ourselves so we can raise amazing children. Thank you all so much for joining us each week. Please be sure to subscribe to the Raising Amazing podcast so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at Raising Amazing Podcast to catch any extra fun goodies for you and your kiddos. And if you'd like to submit a question to be featured on the show, you can send in your questions to raisingamazingpodcast at gmail.com along with your name and your city. That's it for us for now. We'll catch you next Wednesday on Raising Amazing. Happy parenting. May the force be with you.